Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Jesus, I want to thank you for Stephen Alley and their faithfulness, and I want to pray that you would give them a season of rest. I want to pray that you would give them clarity in their next assignment. Lord, we all rest in the fact of knowing that you are the Lord of the harvest. We can't understand your thoughts and your ways. That's what you tell us in your word. You do the things the way that you do them. I'm so thankful for these three men, and I pray for Carlos and the other two. I pray that that they will just sense and feel the burden that they, they understand this, that the life that they've gained in you is, it's their new life. I pray that you would connect them with a church, maybe the church of this pastor that was mentioned. Maybe there's few and hard to find, but it sounds like there's one. And I pray that they could grow and that you'd bless the efforts of beginning discipleship through Skype or whatever. And, and that you would just have more witnesses in a very difficult country God, we rejoice in knowing that at the end of the day, you do the work. We just do our best to cooperate. And so we thank you for all these things, and we pray and rejoice with what you're going to continue to do with the bakers. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Okay, so um, we're back, and uh, allow me to take a minute while you get, get your notes out. We're in the last section. We'll be wrapping it up. Um, allow me on behalf of myself, my family, our church members, just thank you all from Midtown, Harvest, the churches that are represented for hosting this. This is such a wonderful thing and it is such a huge blessing to us. I mean that. So Sam, thank you for all the work you do, and Alan, thank you for all the work you do and for keeping my family in your home. That's so wonderful, and the Brockmeyers keeping my daughters, that's a wonderful thing, and the different families, that, it's such a blessing. And, and let me say, I know I've been a pastor for a number of years now, but I still feel myself to be a missionary, and so let me speak to those of you that like Stephen Alley or the others that are missionaries are here visiting from someplace far away. For us, you may not realize it, but sometimes for us, it's hard to ever feel like we have a home. For us, it's sometimes hard to ever feel like we have family. And sometimes getting together in these events, it feels more like home than anywhere else. And you may not realize it if you're locals and you're coming here from your home and, and you're tired and, and man, thank God for your sacrifice, but you may not realize the level of impact that these events carry for other people who travel a lot. And with a few heads nodding, I, I know that I'm telling you, on behalf of them, allow me to say thank you. Um, Joe McKaig was up here last night and mentioned Southern hospitality got nothing on you, nothing on y'all. And 
it's true. Y'all do a great job. It's a wonderful thing, and, and, and we're humbled and we're thankful. So um, I understand that in today's um, lineup of entertainment, we have, for your viewing and listening pleasure, um, after me, um, I think Pastor Mark Trotter is going to be up. So I do feel a little bit like the warm-up band, you know. And uh, that's okay, because a lot of times there's some talent in warm-up bands. So um, if you have your notes now, let's look at those. Um, today's lesson, actually, I don't have a huge volume of material, so that may be a blessing to you. When we finish, we'll be finished. Whatever the time is, I'm confident we'll finish on time. So um, I have tried to share with you some principles that I think have biblical basis, but have been born out of my personal experience. My personal experience is not the Word of God, it's my personal experience. But as I have experienced life and viewed it from the little people where I've lived, um, I ask God questions and I go to the scriptures for answers and I found some answers and in doing so, it gave some sensibility to some of the things that otherwise seemed nonsensical. So I just wanted to share that with you and help to cast some vision and some insight that may or may not totally ring true with you today because quite frankly, like Jesus told his disciples in John 16, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, you're gonna get what you get dependent upon where you're at in your walk with the Lord and what your current need is. Have you ever noticed that? You're reading through the scriptures or maybe you were here last night and God touched your heart and you didn't hear anything new last night, but it came alive to you last night because for the first time you're ready. You're at a point where, no, evacuate the building? We're okay, all right. And if those guys in the back start running out, we're all out. We're out, just for the record. So with that in mind, um, that, that's what, that, what, that is what has given birth to what I'm trying to share with you today. Um, and what I want to talk about today is, is missionary gifts. And that may be a subject that you've not heard much about. It's a subject that I actually hadn't heard much about. Let me tell you a story, kind of how it all started. When I was a young adult and studying for ministry in Decatur, Alabama, many years ago, y'all weren't born. And um, Jeff Adams actually came and taught some missiology and different things. And I, I remember just having a conversation. I have this weird tendency. If I talk to foreigners who have broken English and they'll speak to me in whatever English they know I will reply to them in their English. Now, many of my friends will tell me that that's rude and it sounds like I'm mocking them. Don't nod your head. <laughs> but honestly, I didn't do it. I truly didn't do it on purpose. I found myself doing it very naturally I felt my reasoning was that if that's the best you can do to put out the English, I don't want to reply to you at a level and a speed 
that you probably can't comprehend. So in a weird way, this was my version of compassion and desiring to relate at a level to make sure that our conversation is heard. Well, I was telling that story to somebody and, and he said to me, he said, well, Jeff, maybe you have missionary gifts. And I thought, I don't even know what that is. And there were no answers for me. It was just a seed that was sown to make me think about this subject. Well, fast forward now into my life in Albania, and I shared with you a bunch of stories about some of the difficulties, and as a result, the casualties of war that I saw among missionaries. So, you know, war is hell, and the mission field is a battlefield, and we saw good godly men that, for whatever reason, didn't seem to be able to stay very long, and, and their fall was great. It was hard on the converts. It was hard on their families, and, and they, were, they were wonderful people. You'd like them. I liked them. And I just asked questions. Why is that? And maybe they weren't trained. Maybe they weren't culturally sensitive. And these are some of the topics we've covered. And then it dawned on me, maybe some people have a supernatural gifting to do that particular kind of work. And maybe other people just don't. And maybe, because there are people, if you're involved in missionary work and you spend time out of this country working with others that work as foreign, foreign laborers, you, you meet people invariably that just seem to click. They just seem to figure it out. It just seems to come kind of natural to them. And some of the challenges that might exist for one family aren't challenges for another family. And I don't exactly know why that is. There may be a thousand reasons, and I can't pretend to know all the reasons, but it dawned on me that there's a possibility that maybe it has something to do with God's supernatural gifting. So what do you do when you have these crazy thoughts? Well, you should do what you always do, crazy or not, go to the scriptures. Because if you just lie in bed and think about stuff, in about five years, you'll be a cult leader. I mean, you have to have the Bible, right? So I tried to do that. Um, I will give you one disclaimer, and I won't give you any more. And my disclaimer is this. What I'm going to teach you may be slightly controversial. And there exists the possibility that you or... I mean, because there's some brilliant people in this room that have spent a lot of time studying. There's, there's every possibility in the world that you or your pastors might think what I'm going to tell you is wrong. I'm not afraid to tell you because I'm offering it in the right spirit, and I encourage you to run this. Since I'm getting your interest. You're waking up now. I encourage you to run what you're going to learn, or hear anyways, from me today. Run this by your pastors. And whatever they say, do that, okay? But I believe what I'm going to teach you, obviously, or I wouldn't be so bold as to come up here and just try and cause trouble. So if you're going to talk about spiritual gifts, you're going to look to typically one of three places in the Bible. You're going to either going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to be in Romans chapter 12, or you're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. And so what we're going to look at today is in 1 Corinthians 12, mostly. And um, there's 
lists of spiritual gifts. And, and we're not going to read and, and look at all of that. We're just going to look at a few things. But in those lists of spiritual gifts, for those of you that have studied it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gifts are broken down into a couple of categories. Typically, we refer to them as permanent gifts, gifts given to edify the church, or temporary gifts, which are considered and defined as signs. They were signed gifts. They were temporary. They were miraculous in nature. They were revelatory. They're gifts that were for the first century. They were gifts given for a specific purpose that do not continue today. And when you look at that list and you come across some of the things of, you know, the healings and the miracles and the word of knowledge and, and you know, tongues and interpretation of tongues and some of those things, we would refer to those as temporary and signs given for the purpose of confirming the word that was preached. If you were to take the time and compare, for example, the last verse of Mark's gospel, Mark 16, 20, and it would talk about how God gave the apostles these signs to confirm the word that was being preached. So in the early days of the church, what was happening is people were going out and saying a multitude of different things. And how would an average listener have any idea which guy really represents God? Well, the guy who had the supernatural, miraculous events happening around him had to have had the supernatural power of God on his life. And so that was the way they could confirm. Well, now you have a written standard. It's the word of God. And so with your written standard, you have the ability to confirm whether or not what I or anybody is telling you. So there's no more need for the temporary or the signed. Okay, that's just kind of a general overview of a simplified understanding of spiritual gifts. In the list of what are considered typically of the temporary gifts is the gift of an apostle. And so what I want to talk to you a little bit about is the spiritual gift of an apostle. Because we understand that the Greek word that gives us apostle has the root meaning of one who is sent. And we teach that that is exactly the same word as missionary from the Latin root. One who is sent. It is also translated as messenger. We saw that the first day. And so when you study apostles in the Bible, we talked about the 12. There's the 12 apostles who are the special 12 that were with Jesus. They have special rewards sitting on 12 tribes and judging, you know, Israel and sitting on 12 thrones. I'm sorry, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They could sit on the tribes. I don't exactly know how that judgment works. Okay. So, but if you dig deeper and, and in our LFBI class, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get into it deeper, but there are also other men who are explicitly called apostles who are not the 12. So without question, you have a biblical basis that there are apostles, men that God calls apostles that there's no reference to them exercising these miraculous sign gifts. There's no reference, really much information at all given for some of them in the list. And so when you look at some of these guys, you realize, okay, so this application of the apostle has to be broader. And if the Bible's our standard, if, if it is the book of life, it's the book that defines everything that life is and it is, then we have to be able to glean from it the understanding of what it is to be an apostle and how there can be some parallels to a current modern day application. So you've got this chart. We're going to walk through the chart, okay? So if in your notes you got some blanks, you can get ahead, fill out the blanks, put down the pen, and listen. But we're going to talk about the chart in a minute. It'll take a minute to get there. 
So let me just read for you a few verses. In 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 28, latter part of this chapter, the whole chapter is about spiritual gifts. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and God has set some in the church, first, apostles, secondarily, prophets, thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Rhetorical question, obvious answer, no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So an apostle who is translated in Latin a missionary is called out. It's called out as a spiritual gift. And so generally, this gift is taught literally to be something that was only in the past. It was, by the way, it was, let me emphasize, it was a spiritual gift. It's not just a title or a job description. It is a supernatural empowerment given by God to carry out a specific task or a mission. And so like I said, the gifts that were revelatory or signed in nature, miraculous, were for the purpose of confirming the message so the listener would understand that the truth was the truth. But I personally have a difficult time limiting the full application of the spiritual gift of an apostle to only the first century. And I'm going to do my best to try and explain that to you. You have the, you know, spoiler alert up here. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 4, the, the brief verses that talk about apostles also, talking about Jesus in context, and he went to the lower parts of the earth, and he rose again, and he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto the church. And among the gifts, it says in verse number 11, he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers... Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So again, an apostle in the context of Ephesians chapter 4 is a gift that is given to the church. And I want you to understand that that sentence doesn't end there that just the apostle is a gift given to the church because it goes on all the way through. And let me flip over to Ephesians chapter 4 real quick because I want to make sure I get this the way it's... Let's say I stopped in verse 13. In verse 14 it says, We henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. By the way, verse 11 is, it's one sentence all the way down to verse 16. And so the idea is this, until we all come into the unity of the faith and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, okay, you who can exegete and understand eschatology and end time. Okay, when is that going to happen? Well, that's going to happen at the rapture of the church. Okay, so if, if God gave these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until 
the rapture of the church, is it not possible that these gifts therefore have some sort of application that continue until the rapture of the church? I think they do. Because the emphasis and the context of the book of Ephesians is really about the church. The book of Ephesians reveals to us the mystery of the body. It reveals to us the position that we have in Christ and turns a corner in chapter four where it says that we're to live this vocation out practically every day in our lives. So it's about the church and the doctrine of the church and most specifically how to continue to live within the body of the church until the rapture of the church. So for me, that makes it hard to limit the application of an apostle only to the first century. Now, let me say that I'm not ignorant of the, the argument that people would pose to say that, well, those things that are given are sequential in nature, that God gave apostles in the beginning and that later on some of the others came. And depending on what kind of church you're from, you might say that apostles and prophets are done, but evangelists, pastors, and teachers continue, and different people draw lines different ways. I just have a hard time dividing that sentence up so finely and neatly. I think you have a hard time doing that. And if you're going to say, okay, well, how long did the apostles last and how long did the prophets last till they were done? Are we going to say the evangelists only lasted for a little while and now all we have are pastors and teachers. Well, some people might say that. I would not be one to say that. Rather, I would say that there is without question a first century early church pre-canonized scripture application of apostles. There were most certainly specific biblical references given to the qualifications of those apostles Right? Judas kills himself, and in Acts chapter 1, they had specific criteria that they looked for to try and determine who the next apostle was going to be to fill the slot of the twelfth. He had to have been with Christ throughout his earthly ministry. He had to have witnessed the resurrected Lord. And on that scriptural basis, people rightly conclude there are no more apostles in that strict sense, and I would agree. So there would be a doctrinal application. There would be a literal understanding of that office in those early days when the Bible refers to the signs of an apostle, miraculous signs and gifts that were given to the apostles. We understand that. Yet, nevertheless, it seems to point toward understanding the broader understanding of the word apostle into missions, understanding Ephesians 4's context, I think we can have a dual application. I pose this to you, you're maybe, I don't know if you're tracking with me, but I'm trying to stimulate your thinking a little bit and give you some food for thought. It all comes from, let me go back again, it all comes from the base that my experience shows me that there are just some guys who get it and there are just some who don't. Just like there are with a lot of things, you have spiritual giftings to do certain things that come very naturally to you and others may try to do them, but it's very unnatural and it's very difficult for them. But for you, it's supernatural. So I think there can be a dual application, certainly in the historical sense of the first century, but I would say also continuing into this century. And so I've put together this chart of the dual application, and so you've been staring at it for a while. Um, let's look at the left column about the first century apostle. Um, the first century apostle was certainly the foundation of the church. And if you're in Ephesians, you can go back to Ephesians chapter 2. 
in the very end of chapter 2 of Ephesians. State verse 19, now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So in the early stage of the church, no question, there was Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation for what would then be built up, this body of Christ. Number two, in the left column, these apostles had many, if not all, the spiritual gifts. They were privy to all of those temporary signed miraculous gifts that not everybody else was privy to. They were the one, Peter was the one who had the gift of healing that they said he could walk by and even if his shadow passed him, people would get healed. I mean, Paul was healing people and, and eventually later in his life, for some reason, he wasn't able to heal them anymore because he left people in other places sick. He told some people to go to a doctor and get medicine. So there's something about it, but these, these apostles, they, they had the gifts of an apostle. They had unique abilities that not everybody else had. They were multi-gifted. The apostles were the primary people group used to write the New Testament. So most of your scripture, most of the revelation of the scripture came from God through the apostles. I mean, this is a special group. They had some things that they did that nobody else did. Until the scriptures were written, while they were being written, until they were confirmed through the body of Christ and ultimately put together in a book that they could have. They, the apostle himself was the authority until the New Testament was complete. When in Acts chapter 15, and there was some confusion between the, the early church in Jerusalem and Saul and Barnabas, and they're going out and evangelizing the Gentiles, and people were coming from Jerusalem to the other places in the Gentile world, and they're saying, hey, they got to keep the law of Moses, and they're saying, no, they don't, and so they go back to Jerusalem, and they have a powwow, and they discuss together, and well, the Bible wasn't ready yet. What were they doing? Well, the apostles were getting together, and they were the authority. They were the, the determinant council to determine whether, what is God really doing? That was what they did. We saw and we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the gift of the apostle, I mean, it's, it's first in the list, right? Wasn't that verse 28 that we looked at? He said, some in the church, first apostles. I think that it's fair to say that it's not just first in chronology, but it's first in importance. And the reason I would say that is because when it goes to prophets, it doesn't just say second. It says secondarily and thirdly. And so they were of utmost importance in this formative stage of this new thing, the church. Number six, they had very difficult lives. If you just study the lives of the apostles, they had very difficult lives and ministries. I mean, they put it all on the line. I mean, they hazarded their lives for the cause of Christ. They turned the world upside down and all of them whether you want to include John dying in exile in Patmos, but they found themselves a gruesome death as a result of following Christ. So they had very challenging, difficult circumstances around which they carried out their ministries. And of course, we saw 
the last couple of days from Matthew 19 that they had special rewards, especially the 12. But then it went on and said, and everyone. So that's kind of a, just a rundown of some bullet points of things that you would learn if you study who the apostles were in the first century and what some of the things were that they had to go through. Now flip over to the right side of the column and see if the parallels don't kind of make sense. So the apostle in the Old Testament sense, and I mean, leading into the early church, I'm sorry, coming out of the Old Testament, had that specific application and it, and it was very unique and it was very limited and it was only them and that does not continue and we don't have an apostolic succession that always refills the next empty seat like the Supreme Court or something like that. The apostolic church, the Mormon church, they always have this constant run of apostles. We don't do that. We don't need to do that. But yet the broad understanding of the word apostle is a missionary. So is, are there things that we can glean that are parallel to a dual application to what we understand clearly as the first century application? I think there are. If the apostle is the foundation of a church, of the church, well, a modern missionary is a church planner. I mean, a modern missionary, if you, typically, are, they're going out into new areas to start new churches where churches didn't previously exist, right? They should be founding and establishing local churches. In the class that I'll teach, we'll spend a lot of time talking about local church ministry and starting local churches. I'm not a big fan of independent mission organizations that just do humanitarian relief. I mean, those things are necessary to help people, but just digging a well or some of those things, if it's not connected with the development of a church, those things are valuable things, but if it's not connected with the development of a church, to me, it's not true mission work. And so that's what a real missionary ought to be doing. It should be involved in church planning. Well, the first century apostles had many, if not all, the spiritual gifts. What you'll find is a true gifted missionary is typically multi-talented. Now, I, I, you know, this is hard for me to say this because I really don't look in the mirror and see a multi-talented guy. But you kind of need to be, if you're old enough, you, you'll remember a phrase we used to use, you know, kind of a jack of all trades and a master of none. So you're kind of okay at a lot of things, although you may not be fantastic at any one thing. That's a good candidate for a missionary because you're the first guy on the scene because when nobody, there's nobody else to call on to help you get the stuff. Man, thank God for our churches that have people who are actually highly skilled at a lot of things. I was talking to the fellows back in the sound booth. I think what they do is awesome. I couldn't possibly do that. Thank God they can do that. But when we started in Albania, I had to fly up to Germany and I went to a music store and said, I need a soundboard. That's all I know, and I have money. <laughs> Can you help me? And then I, they, they said, buy this, and I did, and I bought a car. I needed a car, and I put it in the car, and I drove home, and I set it up, and the Albanian, you know, I was like, all right, we got a soundboard. And they're like, okay, how do we use it? And I said, I don't know. And, and you know, we did what we could. In other words, you gotta, you gotta just try and figure it out. The apostles write the New Testament. Well, missionaries, not always, but frequently participate in translating the Bible. Um, I, my wife and I, she's an Albanian national with phenomenal English skills. Her degree is in English education. I learned the Albanian language fairly well. Um, between the two of us, 
literally, and with, with no, uh, I don't mean this to sound disrespectful to my wife's skill level or, or, or my language ability, but between the two of us, we, we actually make one pretty darn good translator between English and Albanian, and in the early days, there was no Bible in Albanian, and so my Albanian skills weren't that good then, and her English was good, but she didn't have a lot of Bible knowledge back then, and so between the two of us, we worked and actually began translating books of the Bible until, thank the Lord, we met some other group that was already doing it and handed over what manuscripts we did to them and prayed for them, because I'm going to tell you, with fear and trembling, we entered into that work. I didn't want to do it. But we did find ourselves needing to do it because if they don't have a Bible, they need a Bible, right? And so frequently, and Pastor Hedge has been talking about the need to do that, and that's absolutely true. If you're going to a place where Christ is not named and there's nothing written about him, somebody has to do that. First century apostles were the authority until the New Testament was complete. Well, in our situation in Albania, and in a lot of situations, until the Bible becomes available in their language, well, your preaching becomes very authoritative. Now, I understand, I realize that's risky. In Albania, I wasn't the only guy talking about God. There were Seventh-day Adventists, there were Roman Catholics, there were Jehovah's Witnesses, and an atheist Albanian listening if they heard me, they heard the Word of God. If they heard them, they heard whatever they heard. And so it's risky, of course. That's why you need a Bible. That's why they need a written authority and a standard, of course. But until they have one, the only authority they can possibly have about the Word of God is you. First among the gifts, well, a missionary is first in that he is the one who is beginning a new work, especially for those who go to begin new works. I particularly am interested in people who begin new works. I do really like what Paul said in Romans 15 and not building where Christ, you know, on somebody else's foundation where he's already named. And so for those that do that, I mean, without question, the missionary is, is the first and most important spiritual gift needed on the scene because until somebody goes in with a machete and chops down the weeds and begins to see some people get saved and begin to train a few people, there's, there's no need for really any of the other edifying gifts because there's nobody to edify. There's no edifice. There's nothing. There's no need for pastors and teachers. There's no need for those things until some people are saved and some things are begun. So in a sense, in a new ministry context, I mean, the missionary really is first in importance. Without missionaries, what will the heathen do? Very difficult lives and ministries. Do, I, do, I, do we need to comment, really? I mean, I, I get it. You can be a foreign missionary in a country that has luxury. That doesn't mean your life is easy because you're focused on ministry. So we talk about Spain, and I've never been there, but I hear it's a wonderful, beautiful place. If you have money and go on vacation there, I'm sure you'd have a wonderful time. But somebody once made the quote that there's more caffeine in decaffeinated coffee than there are Christians in Spain. I don't know if that's true, but that sounded cool. The point is that that's a hard mission field. And that makes for a very difficult life when you and your family are away from home and focused on winning people to the Lord who seemingly don't care 
kind of like America. Just throw that out there. But let me just say this about the difficulty of the life of any missionary, regardless of the location. By beginning by saying that I hope that you faithful church members take moments in your life to reflect and appreciate the difficulty that your local pastors carry in the burden of shepherding you and leading ministry teams and strategizing to reach out and managing everything. Pastors have to have their hands in everything, in finance and budget and construction and technology and education and love and compassion and counseling and, and all of these things. The job of a local church pastor, leader, minister is extremely difficult. You appreciate that, don't you? Now take all of that and go apply it in a language you don't know and in a culture you don't know among a people that don't think like you think. And all the years it takes to speak that language well enough to begin to open the curtain to see how the culture really functions, to really develop the relationships necessary, to then learn the communication patterns to really get to the heart of their issues so they're comfortable enough to open up to you. It's a lifetime of work. It's extremely difficult. That's why they should be honored. That's why I'm trying to share the things I'm sharing with you because for you young people, my prayer is that every single one of you surrender your hearts and lives. That's just my prayer. Y'all pray what you want. I'm praying that. But at the same time, I want, to keep, I want to keep it real because it's a hard job. And like we talked about yesterday, you've got to count the cost. If you're going to step up to the plate, I mean, you've got to count the cost. So however hard it is to do it here, it's exponentially harder to do it there. Love the people who do. And the special rewards, I think we've kind of covered that already from Matthew 29. The 12 had theirs, but yet, and everyone that forsakes house and lands, wife, brother and sister, okay, shall receive in this lifetime and inherit eternal life. There's some special rewards for people who step up to the plate. So, I, I get it. What I'm sharing with you is not commonly taught, and I've given you enough disclaimer, but it is something to think about, isn't it? Here's the idea. Here's what I want you to consider. I'm so thankful. People from our ministry in Ohio have come and talked to me that last night was a God moment for them, and some of the people that came with us had previously already said out loud, I lay my life out, I surrender it all to serve the Lord wherever, whenever, doing whatever, but others are still learning as all of us are on the process and many of the others came and, and kneeled here last night and prayed and begged God, I'm willing to lay it out there, I'm so thankful. But my exhortation to you guys and to you all is to just prayerfully consider, is God calling me and am I gifted to do this? would I potentially have the gifting to really carry this out? Okay, in my particular circumstance, I didn't know all this when I signed up and got my one-way plane ticket. 
But I know this, I had no exactly zero desire to be a pastor in the United States, none. I worked as an engineer, I had a good job, I paid off my school loans, and I desperately wanted the Lord to give me the ability to go and serve him in another location. I didn't know if I was gifted, I just knew that that was, that was the cry of my heart, that's what I wanted to be a part of, and so I was willing to explore and do whatever, and that's what I wanna encourage you to, to consider. Okay, let me just again say, this is based on my observation that once you get in the battle, once the bullets start flying, once life is hard, once all of the, the smoke and the dust and the stink and all, the, you know, all of that, just the daily hassles of daily life just crawl up on your back and the excitement and the enthusiasm of the parade that the church sent you away with is all died down. In other words, we use the expression, when the honeymoon's over, you gotta sit and look in the mirror and ask yourself, is this really what God has gifted me to do? And too many people that I have known had to come to the conclusion, no. And, and you know, again, I'm not, I don't know what God's doing in their lives. I, I just know that it was hard for them, harder than it seemed to be for me. And that hurt me. And I wondered, is it possible that they just were not gifted to do that? The Bible calls the apostle a gift. And it says in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 12, covet earnestly the best gifts. So let's talk a little more about this thing, and in your notes, I'm calling it the order of importance of spiritual gifts, and we'll run down this list, and, and then we'll be done. So I say this, there is an order of things, and it is important that we realize that. And when we look at the, the total list of spiritual gifts, certainly we are not talking about superiority and inferiority, because God is the one who places us in the body as it pleases him, right? And that's awesome. So whatever God gifted you to do, it's exactly what he intends for you to do. And you'll never be more fruitful and you'll never be more joyful than if you're doing exactly what he gifted you and shaped you to do. There's no question about that. So if we go back through that list that we saw at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, and the first one are the apostles. So doctrinally, your first blank is apostles. And so very quickly, again, I'm going to run through this fairly quickly. We had the 12. Then we have Paul. And Paul is a special case. If you looked in 1 Corinthians 15, what we find out is that he says that, you know, I'm not any less than the least of the apostles. or You know, I'm, I'm, I'm as one who was born out of due season. And so Paul is, you know, lucky number 13. They're foundational. We saw that in Ephesians 2. They're temporary. You only pour one foundation and then you build a building. They're revelatory, authors of the New Testament primarily. They have special qualifications. We talked about Acts chapter one, been with Jesus. And they have special signs. So Hebrews two, three and four, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the tongues and the healings and the miracles are the signs given to the apostles. And then secondarily, number two, prophets. 
who were also special, they were also foundational, temporary, revelatory, and no longer needed after the completion of the New Testament because the prophet historically was the guy, God spoke to the prophet, the prophet spoke to the people. Thus saith the Lord. Well, once you have the Bible, there's no more need for that. So I made this sentence and I put it in your notes because I think it's cool. All apostles are prophets, but not all prophets are apostles. Think about that, would you agree? All apostles absolutely are people who also proclaim the words of the Lord that are revelatory, but not everybody who's a prophet is also in the category of an apostle with all of the signed miraculous gifts. So what you have is, is that the apostles are like, for you math guys, okay, it's like a subset within the greater set of prophets. You have the, 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 the group of prophets and a subset of that would be apostles who also have some special things. Okay, now we go to teachers. And in that historical list, you have teachers being the one the first in the list that continues permanently on throughout the church age. In the classes that you would take in studying spiritual gifts, you'll understand that this is the one permanent gift that if you're going to covet earnestly the best gifts today in 2016, you're going to covet teaching. Why? Because now we have the written word of God and the temporary signs are gone and the teachers are the ones who stand and help the body hear God's words and so they are the most important going forward so that you can then best apply the gifts you have so we can all edify one another. And then you have the others. And I just categorize them all together because the rest of them kind of come without any specific order. You kind of are given the big three and then kind of everything else. And it's kind of everything else. Why? Because they're just given to build up what's there then. Okay, so let's turn the page and talk about the practical side and the parallel practically of what we understand doctrinally. The parallel practically would be first would be the missionary. He is a sent one. So he's special. He has a special calling on his life. The Holy Spirit calls a man. The church recognizes the call, confirms the call. And the Holy Spirit, in cooperation with the local church, send out a missionary. He's special. He's foundational and that he's the one starting new works. He's starting new churches. He's the, he's the one who makes sure that the one foundation that is laid is a good, solid, strong foundation that potentially for generations to come, others will build upon. He's temporary in that the job of a missionary really needs to be you go into an area to establish a work and strictly speaking, you have an exit strategy. If your plan is to live your entire life and retire and die there, okay, that's fine, but maybe you're really fulfilling the role of a pastor teacher more than you are a missionary because the, by definition, understanding of missionary is, it's temporary. You're kind of, you're in and you're out. You go in, you set something up, you build something that didn't exist, when it exists and is healthy, you get out and you move on. That's what Paul did, right? And you go do it again. Now, there's different models, and I know that if we had the time, and for all of our sakes, thank God we don't have the time, we could have Q&A, maybe some other time. But they're also revelatory in the sense that 
The missionary frequently is the first guy on the scene revealing the truth of God's Word. And in many of the places you'll ever go, they do have a copy of God's Word. Is it perfect and the best? Well, I don't know. But they have something, and, and you're the first guy showing up and giving it to them. And maybe you're a part of translation, and I don't know. But this person probably has some special missionary gifts to carry out his mission. Would you look with me quickly in Romans chapter 10? So, you know, one of the most frequent verses people use to lead somebody to Christ is Romans 10, 13, right? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then I love the, the backwards, you know, chronology or prescription that's given going through verses 14 and 15. So it says, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? That's the missionary, that somebody's a sent one. As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So the first thing in the list is they have to be sent so that they can preach so that they can hear, so that they can believe, so that they can call. So it's, it's special, it's first, it's revelatory, it's temporary, it's foundational. The prophet then, in a practical modern day application, we would refer to not in hearing a new word from God, because there is no new word, we have the final word, but he's the proclaimer of God's truth, he's a preacher, and so I would make the parallel statement like in the last set, all missionaries are preachers, but not all preachers are missionaries, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys who are preachers, but they're not missionaries. But if you're a missionary, you should be a preacher. And that would apply to a single lady that you, you may not be the pastor of a church preacher, but you're sharing the gospel. You're discipling others. You're preaching the truth to other people. There's no question about it. We have a single lady out of our church who's a missionary in Prague and I would say she has missionary gifts. She is very adept at fitting in and doing a great job and communicating with people at their heart language. She's on a team of missionaries and is without question the most gifted language learner and the most adept at cultural contextualization of any of the men or women that are on the team with her. She's fantastic. She's a preacher. She proclaims God's truth to everybody that she meets. It's fantastic. Then there's the teacher, similar, obviously, to a proclaimer or a preacher of God's truth, but, you know, it's a permanent gift for the building up and edifying of the church. So I continue my little thought process and say, well, all preachers should be teachers, but not necessarily all teachers are preachers. Now, you guys who have done any of that, you know, would give me a hearty amen there. Because the truth of the matter is, if you've ever sat under guys who preach loud and strong and boisterous and exciting but you never really learn anything. You're like, you come away thinking, that was kind of cool. What did he say? I don't know, but it was cool. You know, listen, the gifts in Ephesians 4, pastors and teachers, they should be teachers. But some people are really good at teaching and sitting down and explaining, but they're not necessarily good preachers. Look, some of the best preaching out there, you know, isn't biblical. <laughs> I mean, some, a little doctrine messes up a lot of good preaching. You know what I mean? So, you got, I mean, you got to be right. I mean, if you're going to be... Okay, no, I'm sorry. 
Ephesians 4, a pastor should also be a teacher. I, I, I just think you can't get away with that. And then lastly, the others. Okay, so in the list from 1 Corinthians 12, the only ones that continue today would be helps, sometimes referred to as ministry or service, and governments, sometimes referred to administration or leadership. No specific order designated, certainly just used to build up what is already established at the front end by missionaries and preachers and teachers. So used all together to fulfill the Great Commission. So you kind of have this order. I, I, I say this to say I'm, I'm, I'm done. We, we've run out of time. Man, this idea of considering and being willing to surrender your heart to God's call to missions it's just the greatest thing in the world. Why? Because you get the unique privilege. If God is in it, that's your job to determine and your church's job to determine. If God is in it, you have the unique privilege, and I mean privilege, to be the person that gets to go to a new place that God has prepared and to see God do amazing things. You get to be the eyewitness in the new place. All of us that stay home send money and pray for you and rejoice also, but they didn't get to see it. We didn't get to see it like you did. We didn't get to be a part of it like you did. We didn't get to hug them every day like you do. It's the most wonderful thing. And if not for the missionaries, we never fulfill the Great Commission. We never do it. And not everybody's called. Don't feel guilty if you don't feel called. But if you do, count the cost, consider these things, get your training, and go for it, because there's no life like it. Let me pray and we're done. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the brothers and sisters. I know this has been a long week and a wonderful week and tiring, but man, your word is fantastic, and so I'm so thankful for it. I pray that you would just help us to see what we need to see, to grow like we need to grow, to rejoice and move forward with strength and power and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.